Glad you're here this morning. Um, just a word about the potluck. Um, so we're bringing you back to potluck, but we're planning to only do two potlucks and a chili cook-off this year. Okay, so we're, it's not going to be every week potluck. We're going to do mostly church provided. So because of that, next week, bring your best dish. All right, bring your, bring your best dish. Okay. Well, last week we started a new series called uh, Created and Called, and this week we're going to look at God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage. So um, let's start from the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Clear, unequivocal, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, through Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So clearly, clearly the Word of God, Bible, clearly teaches that God is the Creator and all things that were made were created through Christ. Unequivocally clear truth, right? And it's a big deal. It is a very big deal. Whether you believe God is the creator or whether you believe, no, we are here by random chance accident. Let's look at some of the implications of this. If God is the creator of the Bible, right, or, or from the Bible, the God of the Bible is the creator, number one, everything has a design and purpose. Every single thing has a design and purpose for why he created it. And then, if you don't believe God is the creator, everything is an accident. Everything is here by random chance. Okay, number two, if you believe God is the creator, truth is rooted in God. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am the truth. So truth is rooted in him. If you do not believe there is a creator, truth is relative and subjective, which means it's personal. Whatever you believe, and we hear that a lot today, don't we? Well, what's true for you is not true for me. Well, there are some things that are subjective, but if it's true, it's true. It's true absolutely for everyone, right? And so, if you don't believe a creator, if you believe we're here by random chance, that means there's no basis for truth, especially moral truth. There's no basis. And so if I said, hey, we're here by chance, nothing constrains me, we're all here, we're all accidents here, oh, I believe murder is okay. You might say, it's not okay. I go, why not? Well, it's just not. How do you know? We're here by accident. There's no basis for truth then. It's all random. Okay? And that gets to three. If, you, if God is a creator, morals come from God's character. If you don't believe there's a creator, there's no basis for morality. There's not. It's more, when we say something's right or wrong, and you don't believe there's a creator, you're just saying, 
I don't like this or I don't like that. It's a preference, but there's no basis. And then four, if God is a creator, there's a future beyond death. If there's no creator, there's no future after death because we're all here by random chance or accident. It's really interesting. I've, I've done many, many funerals, and some for Christians and for non-Christians, right? And people that are, are, don't believe in God or have never evidenced any of that, when it comes to death, they all believe people go to heaven. It's very interesting. And so God being created is a big deal. And if God is a creator, he's the supreme authority. We are accountable to him. He's the supreme authority. And one day, yes, we will all meet our maker. One day we will all meet our maker. You know, there's, have you there's a lot now in media and movies that talk about the multiverse. Have you noticed that? Like, right, look at this. Marvel, right? This new Marvel series that started after the Avengers, what, Endgame? This new series? It's all about the multiverse. All about the multiverse, right? Here's a picture, some artist's picture of what he mentions. Also, all of those are separate universes. So the multiverse means there's multiple Verses, or there's not just one universe, there's many verses, or, you know, many verses, <laughs> right? You know why I think that's so? You know why they've invented this multiverse? It's because scientists have determined or believe now unequivocally that the universe, our universe, is about 13.7 billion years. And yeah, it might seem like a long time to us, but that is a very, very small length of time when you consider all the random chance things that have to take place for creation of human life. There had to be all of these random accidental things that came into place that formed the building blocks for this world, the building blocks for life, and then those things had to randomly continue to evolve until human, humans are developed. And even the best scientists know 13.7 billion years does not cut it because the odds of all of these random occurrences happening are so great, it's impossible that human life spontaneously random came into existence within that short amount of time. What is their solution? Even though there is no scientific evidence for it, even though there is no proof for it, even though you can't disprove it, multiverse. If we have an infinite number of universes where an infinite amount of changes and things could have taken place, then it's possible that within that human life, and we are the one universe where all these random things lined up so that human life can exist. I believe that's why we're seeing this multiverse. Problem solved. 
no accountability to God. But evidence around us, evidence in the universe, evidence says that, no, there is an intelligent design behind creation. There is intelligence behind creation, and it's evidence everywhere. And God intentionally created, and he intentionally instituted marriage as a foundation for relationships and family and society. And, okay? And so, what is God's design for marriage then? God's a creator. God designed marriage with a purpose. He instituted for a reason. What's that reason? What's the design? Genesis 2, 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Right? I'm going to highlight three aspects of God's design for marriage. Right? Number one, God designed marriage to be the union of one man and one woman. That's God's design. One man and one woman joined together. Genesis 1.27 says that God created people, we talked about this last week, male and female, that separately and together reflect the image of God. So God created people as men and women who separately reflect God's image, but in a unique way together when they are joined, reflect, I think, more of the fullness of who God is when they're joined together. That's how he designed men and women, to be biologically and in personality and makeup to fit perfectly together to reflect his image, right? That's how God designed the marriage relationship and men and women. Now, let's look at this picture. Okay, this is from plumbing. All right. In plumbing, have you noticed in plumbing, you go to the heart, you go to Lowe's, you go to Home Depot, then they have parts. And then the parts, they're, ma they're labeled male or female. Okay? I think in electricity too, there's certain things in electricity, male and female. So on the left, that's a female part. Did you, did you know that? Did you, are you like it? The guys go, yeah, 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 of course, right? You know, go hunting, is that a male or female part? The left, that's, that's a female. It has the threads, right? The right is the male. Now, why do you think they call these parts female and male? Because the male part goes into the female part. Okay, I have a little plumbing quiz I'm going to give you. Okay, next picture. Okay, which ones are male and which ones are female? Kind of look through. Right? Intuitively, right? Self-evidently, plumbers understand God's design for marriage. <laughs> There's a male... And then there's a female. And the male goes into the female, and they fit together. Plumbers know this truth. 
They don't have to argue it. They don't have to reason it. It's self-evident to them. That is a self-evident truth. Right? In the Declaration of Independence, or the Constitution, one of those, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That means we know it inside. It's, we, we know that truth. This is a self-evident truth. God created marriage to be one man and one woman. We know that. Biologically, they fit together. Right? Plumbers know that truth. And really, inside, we do too. Okay? So that's the first that's the first truth about God's design for marriage. Secondly, marriage is designed to produce children and establish families. Genesis 1, 28, first part. Then God blessed them, talked to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Right? So God wanted in marriage, man and woman, he created them to go together, fit together, and to be able to procreate. Create children, have children, because God wants a family. God wants a family. And so that's part of the design of marriage, is to produce children, produce families, and families are the foundation of society. By the way, which the enemy is seeking in many, many, many ways to seek to destroy. Distorting our the truth about marriage, distorting the truth about gender, all these things, they are purposely, strategically meant by the enemy as an attack to destroy families. Okay, third one. God's design for marriage. God, God designed marriage with the goal of oneness. Oneness. Ephesians 5, 31-33, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Okay, first, that two separate individuals that God brings together in marriage and institute marriage to come together, to be joined together, Physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, come together as one. One. And this is manifest through sexual intimacy. They're coming together as one. Now, what do you think the goal of marriage is? Or if you're married, what's the goal of your marriage? You could get a lot of answers. Companionship, peace, harmony, comfort, sex, happiness, children, family, love. All those are good things. Those are all good things. Those are all good, good goals of marriage, right? Good possibilities. But I believe God designed marriage with one primary goal. And that goal is oneness. That two separate individuals will be joined together and become one. Now, 
why is oneness the goal? Why, Pastor Barry, why do you say oneness is the goal of marriage? Well, the passage says, right, the passage we read, Ephesians 31 through 32, Paul says again, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right? That's sexual intimacy, becoming one flesh. Then Paul says, this is a profound mystery. What, what is the mystery? What mystery is he talking about? It's a profound mystery. What is it he's talking about? Well, we look at what he had just said. He said, two becoming one. That's the mystery. How can that be? How can two separate things become one thing? That's the profound mystery. And he said, then he says something mind-blowing. This is probably one of the most surprising and shocking verses to me in Scripture, right? Then he says, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. Did Paul just say what I think he was saying? Was, is Paul, did he just compare what I think he compared? Basically, right, in this verse, Paul had just talked about two becoming one, one flesh. What is that? Sex. Two becoming one, that's sex, right? One flesh. That exemplifies the oneness, not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, to becoming one, exhibited, manifest, exemplified by sexually coming together as one flesh. Then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul is comparing the union, the oneness that God designs and intends for himself and his people, Christ and the bride being joined together as one. He says that is exemplified on earth in marriage of two people coming together as one. As one. This is, this is crazy mind-blowing, right? This is mind-blowing stuff, right? Because God intended the oneness experienced in marriage to be a foreshadowing of the oneness God intends for himself with his people. That's why God says the goal of marriage is oneness. Because he intended the oneness experienced in marriage to be a foreshadowing of the oneness God intends for himself with his people, Christ with his bride, the church. God's goal, God's end game for all of creation and for us is to be united as one family with God himself. That's his end game. And he wants to exemplify that truth. 
He wants a, a tangible, physical representation of this truth here on earth through marriage. That's why he instituted marriage. And that's why the goal of marriage is oneness. It's not happiness. It's not companionship. It's not support, although all those things are part of it. The goal is oneness. John 17, 21. Jesus talking. This is one of the um, most significant chapters, I think, in all of the Bible, when Jesus is talking about these things. Jesus says, John 17, 21, that they may all be one. All of his believers, all that profess Christ and follow him, that we may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God's desire, God's design, God's purpose, God's vision, God's dream, God's intention is that we would all be united as one together with him. Just as the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is united as one, we are, in, are invited, we were created to be invited to participate in that oneness and he wants that demonstrated exemplified in marriage okay you can take out your play-doh now i've done this illustration many times but you know i just think it's one of the best illustrations of what i'm talking about the oneness in marriage and the oneness with god okay so take out your play-doh and I thought about, I've done this many times, so I thought, how can I make this illustration fresh, right? How can I make it something, something new, right? And I thought, oh, I'm going to give you guys a chance to play. I'm going to give you a chance to, you know, tangibly experience this oneness, all right? So take your plate out. All right, if you're single, this is going to apply to you. And if you're married, but you're not sitting next to your spouse, Right, you have the two, open it up. If you're married, what I want you to do is take some of your Play-Doh and give it to your spouse. You could either do it that way, or you could kind of smash it together with your spouse and knead it together. Maybe you could do it that way, all right? Does that make sense? Everyone clear? Is it hard to open? <laughs> is there like a tape around it? No? Come on, just use your elbow grease, huh? <laughs> if you need a Play-Doh, Kyle has some going around. You don't have to get every bit of Play-Doh out of the can, okay? <laughs> okay, all right, everyone, everyone ready? Okay. All right, right now, you're participating in an example of a profound mystery. 
you're about to experience a profound, as Paul says, a profound mystery, right? Because we have two separate, unique, distinct, different individuals that come together as one in marriage, right? Join together when they commit themselves as husband and wives. But is, is, this, is this, are they experiencing oneness? No. What has to happen? This. Right? I remember when Dale and I got married, when we were going on our honeymoon, we were driving to our honeymoon, our first location, we got in a huge fight in the car. Huge. It was, we're, we're going off to our honeymoon, right? What was that fight about? It was about this. We were getting two different people clashing violently. Were we happy? No, because but that's not the goal. Were we friends? No. That's not the goal. We go through trials together. We experience the conflict. We go through tension and disagreements. We go through job losses, difficult having kids, trials with our kids right, illnesses, we go through life, and as we go through life together and we understand what God's design and goal for marriage is, this starts happening. This starts happening. And we begin, as we go through life together, and compromise, and talk things out, and work things out, and fight, and, and all the good stuff too. This starts happening. And we begin, hopefully, if we are aligned with the Lord, we begin to experience the oneness that he intends. Now, I'm going to give two, let me give two observations about this. Number one, because this, this is taking place, that's why divorce is so painful. When you get divorced, You can't separate things that you've shared together. Your lives were entwined together. You were joined together. You can't now start, let me take the red out of there and separate it, right, from the white. Let me try to, 
it's never clean. That's why it's so painful. You know, after the message, we're going to have ministry time and extended worship. And you know what the Lord spoke to me this morning before when we were praying together? He said, that's the grace time. And if you've been through divorce or going through a divorce, this is the truth. But there is love and grace and restoration for you to experience. This is why, too, God holds such high standards for sexuality. And why he says sex is to be only in the context of marriage and marriage alone because that it is meant to represent the oneness not only within the marriage, but it represents the oneness that God intends, the oneness of creation that God intends for us in the future with God and his people. It's to everything for God. It's why he made us. And it's sacred. That one is what it cost him the life and blood of his son to, to achieve his dream of oneness with his people. So it's a sacred thing. Sexuality and sex It's a sacred thing. It's a spiritual thing. That's why he says, may you only engage in that in the context of marriage, which is intended to be permanent. You know, these days, the enemy has done a huge number on that morality. In the 60s, probably, right? The sexual revolution, free love, which was really free sex. You know, I wonder how many times over our lifetimes we've seen in movies and in TV people engaging in sex outside of marriage How many times have we seen that scene? We've heard that talk thousands and thousands of times. And the enemy has normalized that morality. He's normalized it. It's like, you know, the frog and the how to boil a frog. You just do it very slowly. So it's not noticed. So it becomes the fabric of society. And now that issue, not even on the table anymore. 
It's like a given. But I wonder if we had held as a society to God's truths in this area, I wonder how many children would not then have been aborted. Because we're trying to find a way through abortion to skirt around the consequences of engaging in sexual relationship outside of marriage. We're trying to avoid that consequence of that. For you married people, for us married people, God intended your marriage to be a foretaste of oneness. And it's hard. It's challenging. And it's difficult for two to become one. But he, that's, that's his goal for marriage. That's how he designed marriage, that you can taste this. Now, if you're single, you may be wondering, why do I have this plate over my hand? Don't you, if you're single, just take that plate out and you look at it. The reason why you have that Plato is because God can use your singleness as an opportunity for you to experience and taste oneness with God directly now on this earth. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says he wishes all had the gift that he had. What was that gift? The gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness. Why does Paul say he wish all people had that gift? It's because when you are single, you can devote yourself to your relationship with the Lord without distractions. He says, marriage is good. If you're not gifted like me, you're free to get married, but you will be distracted from your single-minded devotion to the Lord. Now, I know some of you are single. It's painful because you want to be married. And Perhaps the Lord has that for you. Perhaps you will find that person. That's a whole other topic. But while you are single, it's a gift. It's a gift that I or Dale, we can no longer experience. You have the gift to be able to cultivate, to taste, to experience a depth and intimacy and a taste of the oneness with God that married people can no longer experience. I mean, we can experience it, we can experience oneness with God, but the Bible says, if you're married, your interests are divided. True. 
And so I want to encourage you as a single, even if that's not by choice that you are single, ultimately, this is what God desires and intends for all of us with him. And use this time because you could begin to taste this more and more right now. I'm just going to close with the application. Years ago, a book came out, and it was this book. Opposites attract, attract with crossed out, and instead it's opposites attack. Now, I've never read this book, but the title intrigued me. And after over 35 years of marriage, after hundreds and hundreds of premarital counseling sessions and counseling sessions, I came up with, real quickly, six stages of marriage. Okay, so these are the, my six stages of marriage. There's the attract, <laughs> then there's the attack stage, there's the adjust, there's the accept, learning to accept, there's the appreciate, and then there's the affirmation of one another. Okay, let me go through them real quickly. Attack, attract. I generally think opposites do attract because you're meant to be, there's a complementary, like a, almost a sense of completing one another, right? And so I believe in a partner, you subconsciously look for someone who will complement you and supply what you're lacking, right? So there's an initial attraction. But very, very, well, maybe not very quickly, but often, quickly after you get married or quickly after, or after you've been into a relationship for a while, I find the very traits that you were attracted to become the things that irritate you. The person that was organized becomes inflexible. <laughs> the person that was easygoing becomes lazy. <clears throat> person that was patient is indecisive. The person that was spontaneous is crazy and chaotic. Person that was confident is so arrogant. The person that was thorough becomes completely controlling. You know, Dale and I, in our first year of marriage, was hard, was challenging, right? It was pretty hard. We, in our first year of marriage, we literally had a food fight in our living room. There was salad flying, pasta flying. We were literally taking food and like, like snowballs. Like. We were in the attack phase. A lot of marriages get stuck in attack phase. And one of the big things about that it's regaining the vision to see the person 
and recognize the person the way you saw them when you first met and when you were first getting to know them. It's learning to go back and appreciate the differences in your personality. And sometimes it's a long road back. Many people do not even make it back from that. They just stay in attack mode. Okay, so the next stage is adjust. First, just one thing, application for adjust. You have to let go of trying to change the other person. If you go into a relationship or if you're in your marriage and you are trying to change them, that's going to lead to frustration and the death of the relationship. That's not our jobs. It's God's job. And so let go of trying to change the other person. Now, we can share feelings in a healthy way. We can share differences. We can talk it out. But if you keep trying to change the person, it will end badly. Next, accept phase. Accept the person for who they Now, I'm not talking about if sometimes there's very serious issues in a marriage and a relationship. I'm not talking about like abuse or violence or uncontrolled anger or things like that. That has to be dealt with. But I'm talking about personality things, okay? Application. Every day this week, if you're married, every day this week, thank God for one trait about your spouse. That just starts shifting your mindset to start seeing them as the compliment God intended. Next, appreciate application. Every day this week, tell your spouse something you appreciate about their personality. Not, you made a good meal. Or, thanks for coming home on time. Something about their personality, their, their character, who they are. Finally, affirm. When you get to this age, it's just you start leaning on each other. You know, when you're going on a trip, you recognize, you know, you're better at these things than me. So I want you to, can you lean into that? And I'll lean into this. And you start the affirming who each other are and who they, their personality and their makeup by the way you work together. You know, nowadays, Dale and I, we often, we, you know, we're still working on it, but we recognize each other's strengths. And we, will, we go to each other for, you know, way better organized than me, way better planner than me. So certain things, I ask her questions. This thing's coming up. What do you think about this? What do you think about that, right? And for, for me, for her, I see the big picture, right? I do certain things, and so she'll ask me about this and that. And that's the affirmation in that's becoming this. That's becoming this. God's goal for marriage is oneness. God's purpose for you and your relationship with him is oneness. Oneness. So connect with one another. Appreciate the differences. And make God and your connection with him, your priority. Okay, let's have the worship team come on up.
Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.